Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. This evening is, as you can see, this is session 12, and our topic is gathered and positioned to hear. Gathered and positioned to hear. This is the first of a two-part series under this title. Okay, so um, gathered and positioned to hear part one. And next week we will do gathered and positioned to hear part two. Okay. Um, our signature scripture for the next two sessions is uh, Genesis 49 verse 2, the first part. It says, gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob. Remember Jacob called the twelve Um, sons together and he says gather and hear Um, what we want to speak about in this particular session tonight is um, the importance of a gathering being accurately constituted in order for the, the people within that community or gathering to access the voice of the Lord that'll be the focus okay but what I want to say as an introduction you can follow in your notes or just listen to me rather, is that when God speaks, the sound of his voice is very important to pick up. And it's very important for your spiritual ears to be under the sound of that voice. Uh, three week, two weeks from, from, from this session, um, the, we're going to focus on hearing with your spiritual ears, not hearing with the, the ears of your soul or your natural ears. Um, but that's two weeks' time. For today, what we want to do is stress the importance of being under the sound of a divine voice. And you pick up the frequency from God in the heavens. Your natural pinna pick up frequencies of sound. And sound is a wonderful study to, to, to do. I'm talking about, uh, do a scientific study on natural sound. And the way your ears, your pinna, God designed it like this. Okay, Some are bigger than others, but nevertheless, it's designed to pick up sound. So you can intelligibly comprehend um, communication. What is true in the natural is also true in the spiritual. Two weeks from now, we'll talk about the spiritual ramifications of what is an earthly reality. For tonight, what I want to focus on is the importance of you as an individual, singularly, privately, personally, and also corporately in a group, a community, positioning yourself under the sound of God's voice. Okay? It's very, very important. So, um, the sound of God's voice generates faith. Faith comes by hearing. The act of hearing is vital um, to access all of the benefits vested in God's word. So, we have to... Um, analyze the process of hearing quite accurately. Otherwise, we lose much of God's intended blessings vested with His Word. Much will be lost if hearing is not encoded accurately. Okay? So for today, we're going to focus on the, the need, the sheer 
essential need for people of God to gather together collectively to hear God's voice. That is true for a local household like this. People need to come together regularly to hear God's voice. It's also true for people in a cluster of families um, to come together regularly, especially the leaders of those local households, to hear the voice of their spiritual father, to receive apostolic doctrine. Like we go to these schools of ministry to sit under the sound of the voice of our father, leaders. Um, I go regularly to two schools every year and at least to two perspectives on the apostolic every month, right? And apart from other forums. Why is that process important? I needn't go. Get the CDs. Why? It's, it's costly. There's a sacrifice involved. It may be tiring as well. But you realize the spiritual benefits and importance attendant with the gathering process. Hence you go. There we receive doctrine. We come to our local houses and we break it down as bread, make it palatable for our people to receive. I gather like you gather here tonight. I gather with other sons of our spiritual father at forums that he has set up throughout the year. Right? The gathering, what we're going to talk about, the principles attendant with what we're going to talk about tonight, is true for a local household. It's true for the gathering of a cluster of families where leaders of those households gather to receive instruction. It's also true for gatherings of different churches belonging to different families under different apostles, but which are all resident in one city. Right? So Open Heaven is coming up in July. Why will we prioritize? Why will I prioritize the gathering? Why will I go to that even at extreme cost in terms of program, schedule, etc.? I realize I have to gather on multiple levels to access God's purposes for those various and varied gatherings. You understanding? Right? So, um, for our purposes here this evening, we're going to focus largely on our local house and the need for us to gather regularly, okay? Especially at forums like this on a Friday evening where doctrine is taught, right? Largely doctrine will be taught on a Friday evening. Sunday morning is more exhortational. While it will come with a lot of doctrine, but it's more encouraging, etc., etc., okay? So it's important for us to, to gather regularly. And I really want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to encourage your brothers, in the Lord that don't come regularly to a Friday evening, or your spouses, impress upon them the absolute need that this is a non-negotiable meeting. Everyone say non-negotiable. It's like every, I would dare to say, every activity must be now scheduled around this priority. Right? Every other thing becomes of lesser priority. You see, when you don't understand the value of a thing, you can easily be indifferent to its importance. Why? Because your understanding of, of its worth is diminished. And when a thing is devalued, it's not prioritized. Okay? And I really want to encourage all of us, household um, leaders, leaders of the house church, the ships, impress upon your people, wives, husbands, whose partners are not just stress upon your po- Otherwise, you grow at one level and you leave your partner behind. Right? We were also encouraged to bring our 
partners as pastors to various apostolic forums. Why? It's important that you grow and together as a as one unit. Right? Otherwise, your growth in God will be disparate. Right? So it's important for you to grow commensurately to, together. So the hearing of God's word is absolutely, critically important. It must be heard as a company. It must not only be heard privately. We can all access the voice of the Lord personally and privately for our lives. But God's strategic moves to a, a large body of people are always communicated through a leader who is set over that people, and he would speak the word of the Lord. The people who hear it must be constituted or comprised in a certain way to access what he says. Okay. Now, what we're going to do initially is read Romans 10. Romans 10, just to, to introduce this aspect of accurate hearing. We've read this in the past, but I want to reread it with a different emphasis. Romans 10 verse 5, in your notes it says, Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is to say, the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, how does a person get saved? This verse in Romans says, believe in your heart, Jesus as Lord, and confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Everyone say desired outcome. That's the desired outcome. That is what God is looking for. That's God's intent. That's the logical fruit of what God wants to see. He wants to see men saved. How will they get saved? They believe in their hearts. Jesus says, Lord, confess with their mouth that God raised him from the dead and they shall be saved. So that's the outcome. And the scripture says, verse 10, for because with the, the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? Now, that's the outcome. God wants men saved. They call on him. They accept him as Lord. They believe in their hearts. God raised him from the dead. They will be saved. The important um, thing is this. How is that outcome materialized? How do we get there? Verse 14 says, Ask a series of questions then. How then, if verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 14 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Because you've got to believe to be saved. How, you, how can you believe in him whom you have not heard? Everyone say heard. 
So we're discussing the importance of hearing, right? So you can't believe if you haven't heard. And it says, how are you going to hear if there's no preacher? Right? Can you see the progression? On the next page, verse 15, how can the guy preach unless he is sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Do you remember the meaning of this word beautiful? Heroios in the Greek, which means abundance, full of foliage, but also a timely word in season, right? So it's not just any preacher. Yeah, please get this. It's not just hearing any preacher. It's hearing a preacher with a present truth, present day word. Beautiful feet, right? I will stress this more next week, this, this aspect of beautiful feet. But just to jerk your memory, we discussed this, that the, the, the preacher whose feet are beautiful is a preacher who brings a, a timely word that results in um, productivity, fruit, relative to the season of God. However, the, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, for who has believed our report. So then, faith comes by hearing, and this is what Paul concludes, and hearing by the word of the Lord. Okay, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but look at the progression that I, I put in your notes. Right at the bottom of that scale, you got God's intended outcome is realized. Now, I'm not applying this to men getting saved. This can be applied to any spiritual process. Wherever there's a God intent or outcome, you must have this process. Right? And the process is, if you start at the top, God must commission someone. There must be a sending. That sending validates and authorizes the person in the spirit. Right? So the one who speaks must be sent. Right? Um, there are some that went, but were not sent. Some have ordained them themselves into ministries, as it were. Okay, So there must be an authorization and a recognition from God, a sending. Then you got the preacher who is sent. Thirdly, that preacher proclaims a timely and a relevant message. His feet are beautiful. That message is heard by the Recipients of the word. What is the result? Faith comes by hearing. So when he hears, he has faith, he believes. As evidence of his faith, what does he do? He obeys the word. And ultimately God's intended outcome is seen. It materializes. Okay. Now put an asterisk where it's got the hearing in the recipient of the word. I don't think, especially in our sphere of relationships and our community of churches that we relate to, I don't think we have a problem with all the steps before that. I think we have the sending of the Lord. I think we have preachers that preach a relevant message whose feet are beautiful. Would you not agree? If you disagree, we can talk about it. Who believes I'm not sent? I'm a, I'm a man who went. Right? John was a man sent from God. I'm not just referencing myself. I say all the people within the sphere of relationships to which you are exposed, 
of valid, authentic, ordained men sent by God. They are our preachers, keruks. Remember the, the Greek word they are, the keruks of the Lord. These are not just sermonizers. They are preachers preaching a relevant, timely word, relevant to the season of God. Right? And, but there's a serious problem in how we hear. Because certain outcomes are not realized. Tendent with the words that we are, re- that we are hearing. And so I want to encourage you in terms of our focus for the present study tonight. I want to focus on the need to gather, to position yourself under the sound of the voice of the preacher ordained or sent by God that has an accurate, relevant, and a timely word for us. The word that God preaches or releases through a preacher is has contained within it two things God's nature and God's purpose. Right? God's nature and God's purpose. We heard last week of the church at Ephesus, how that Paul the Apostle met with the disciples of John and others for at least two to three years, daily proclaiming the the word of the Lord. He reasoned and he persuaded men, he declared and he taught for two solid years, indoctrinating men with kingdom ways. He preached the word of the, of the kingdom. Right? For two solid years, the Amplified Bible says they met at least from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. There was a regularity of meeting. There was a consistency of devotion. The gathering, the pivotal points around which they came, The axis, the centrality of the gathering was apostolic doctrine. It was word. And Paul, as the crooks, the preacher would, proclaim and teach the word. So much so that um, he destroyed every illegal position in a whole city in Ephesus. Right? Those who were dabblers in magical arts, um, sellers of books, for example, burned at least 50,000 uh, pieces worth of of information designed to perpetuate that religion or that illegal, inaccurate religion in Ephesus. Also, the worship of Diana of the Ephesians was totally destroyed. Right? He totally changed the principles of a city by consistently teaching every day for for two years. Right? Cause a stir in the city. The thing is, the Bible says at the end of that process, the word of the Lord grew and multiplied and prevailed. There was a prevailing, a prevalence of the word of the Lord in a city. When does the word prevail? What is a word prevailing over a city? Part of the whole process is there must be a regular gathering and the sounding out. Say it again, the sounding out of word in that city. If you were in Ephesus with Paul, and if he asked you, what do you think, Chris, how often should we meet to change the city? Paul met diligently every day for plus minus between two and three years. And the result was he changed the whole culture economically and religiously of a whole city 
Not just a whole city. Because the Bible says, Ephesus being what it was, we studied this last week, Ephesus was a gateway city, right? John the Revelator, in the book of Revelations, writes to the church, the seven churches, but Ephesus is first, because the angel of the church at Ephesus, remember, is addressed, and the revelation of Christ to that church is, Christ holds the, the seven stars in his right hand, right? And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. So this church has a view of every other church. This is an apostolic church that can assess itself and know the effectiveness or the accuracy of others. So when, when, when Paul changes Ephesus, he's essentially changing all of Asia. And the Bible says, and all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Every spot, significant city in Asia heard the word of the Lord. And what was Paul's methodology? Every day sounding out the word of the Lord. And there was this consistent gathering unto him to declare the word of the Lord. I'm really trusting God even for our own purposes. We need to, beyond this gathering, find new forums, platforms in this city in the various geographical suburbs from which to sound out and proclaim the word of the Lord. And in time, I believe God will give us a method, a plan. Amen? Who would like to see your city changed? Amen? You see, your idea of church, you have to become um, assignment conscious. The idea of church mustn't just be gathering so that I can keep my family maintained spiritually. Yes, that is true that will it's a benefit that comes to you. But our gatherings has got, have now got to shift gear to see whole communities changed. So don't ever underestimate the power of the declared word of, of God. Amen. But for all that to transpire, you need people to come. And guess what? People attract people. I want to say it again. People attract people. Do you think if we had a full house tonight, this entire car park full with cars, that any passerby would not be concerned. What on earth is happening here every Friday night? Why is there traffic jam at this robot? What about interest do these people have every night? Do you think if you'd invite a friend tonight, they would be more keener to come back the next time if they see the volume of interest in what we're doing is big? How would you like to go to a meeting with just five people interested? Would you come back the next week? Maybe, maybe not. But if you go and you see there's, gee, there's 500 people coming to the same venue every week. Guess what? The sheer number of crowds activate consistency, activate interest, apart from what is actually being de declared there. Amen? This is why I want to encourage you. It's almost like I feel like shutting this, this forum down as it were until we get our act together. I just feel that the sound of this word while it's benefiting the nations, the benefit seems to be furthest away from us. Yet our own immediate people are not benefiting the most. Amen. So I, want, I really want to implore you um, to, you see, I don't mind doing this. But my mind is more on, I need a greater result. Not for, for any pride purposes. I need to do the will of the Lord and do it quickly in the jurisdiction that God has given us.
But it's going to take a, a, a more serious commitment by the corporate house, everyone together, coming diligently to hear the word of the Lord. A Paul started off with 12 of John's disciples. Remember he says, he went to the synagogue first for I think two to three months. And there was a large uproar and he, he took them to the school of Tyrannus. And therefore, for two years in this first account, he says, I taught diligently the word of the Lord. When he departed from the Ephesian elders, he said to them, I've been with you for three years. For the space of three years, went night and day, publicly and from house to house, I have not shunned, but to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Amen. So I really want to encourage you to encourage others to, to up their commitment. I know certain things happen where people, uh, like there are many people legitimately not here this evening. But beyond that, we must, we must uh, be more um, serious about the accomplishing objectives. Amen. Accomplishing ultimate intent. Amen. That must be the focus. So then, I thought... Um, I believe the, the Holy Spirit switched this study. I had this. I had a study prepared tonight, and Julie is my witness. Just yesterday, I felt the Holy Ghost ministered to me, switch and change gear, and I started preparing this tonight, and it's pulled over into next week. And what I should have prepared said tonight, I will only say three weeks from now, right? Because the Holy Spirit said to me, I just realized you can't release that now. Until the composition is right. There needs to be a more greater representative composition. The Lord said to me, for you to talk what you would want to have spoken tonight, you need to defer it until I get everyone more accurately comprised, constituted in terms of their actual gathering, coming to the meetings. Amen. I know you can hear these things by CD, etc. But there's something more profound that God is wanting to engender in our gathering together amen now so then let's spend on page three what i want to do is to encourage this process i want to spend a few moments highlighting for us the sheer importance of gathering some of these things you know but it's important for us to enunciate them the first principle of gathering is this the very essence of church incorporates the idea of gathering the Greek word for church is what? Ecclesia. Ek. Ek means out. Ecclesia, called out. The called out ones. Church. Everyone say church. If you are Greek, you would say ecclesia. You, you are by definition say those who come out. Right? You're called out from the, 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 the broad society of people and you are the select group that come out. Your coming out necessitates a gathering in a central place. Hebrews 12, 23 says, To the general assembly and the church. Okay? The general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Everyone say assembly. And I wrote in your notes, the church is called the general assembly, not the disassembly. Right? By definition, if you call yourself church, you are saying to everyone who hears you, we are those that assemble regularly, right? Uh, it's not, we're not the assembly 
we are the assembly. We're not the disassembly of the Lord. Okay? We are the church that regularly comes together. Principle two. The gathering must be in the name. Everyone say, gather in the name. Matthew 18, 20, where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Say it again, in the name. Okay, now as I've taught you in the past, whenever you see this, name always indicates two things. What are they? Nature and function. Um, so the idea of, the biblical idea of name incorporates two ideas, nature and function. Another descriptor is, for nature would be identity, and for function would be destiny. So you always think nature, function, identity, and destiny. You can, always, you can also say character versus purpose, or character and purpose. Nature, function, Identity, destiny, nature, or, or and purpose. Where two or three are gathered in my nature, I am there. Where two or three are gathered to fulfill my function, I am there. Where two or three are gathered in my identity, I am there. Where two or three are gathered with the objective of pursuing my purpose and destiny, I am there. Everyone say, in my name. So in my nature, in my identity, in my character, or in my function, in my destiny, in my will, I am there. We've often used the scripture to excuse poor attendance at meetings. Right? And to reassure those that have come, the few that are there. Don't worry, brothers. I know that many people didn't turn up. But where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. You try to placate the brethren, right? This scripture got nothing to do with that. When is presence guaranteed? Let me ask you, when is divine presence always guaranteed in a gathering? If that gathering is in the name, is in the nature, is in the character of Christ. That gathering has got no other agenda to fulfill than His function, His will, His purpose. Where those two elements are present, God says, certainly I will preach up. Certainly I will be in the midst of them. Certainly my presence will be guaranteed where the gathering is in my name. Sadly, globally, there are many gatherings. They say it, we gather in his name. But the nature of the gathering is not Christ. And the gathering is not focused on doing his will but the gathering is unto the misdirected ambition of some man to fulfill and bolster up a man, man's agenda. Okay? So I really want to encourage you. Divest yourself. If that is true, I'm just getting revelations as I was talking to you. If that is true, then divest yourself of any personal ambition or desire that you have when you come to the gathering. Because people use this context for many things. Right? People will use this sphere of relationships and friendships and associations for many things. This gathering must be in the name. Part of that demands when you come, you divest yourself of any personal private benefit that would accrue to yourself by virtue of you being part of this community. 
Benefit will come to you. Advantage will come to you. But it's only secondary as long as His will is accomplished. Right? As long as His nature is seen in how we gather. So listen carefully. If you have any ambition that is private and personal, and you are parasitic in a sense, you are faithful, but you've got a private agenda to sap or rob the intent of the gathering unto yourself, that then is not acceptable. It's ungodly. That is not then you've come, but you haven't gathered in the name. There are some that are present, but have not gathered in the name. Your presence does not guarantee that you have gathered in his name. You might be there, but you might not be in his name, in his nature, and focus on accomplishing his will. Okay? So check yourself. Any gathering you go to, any gathering, whether I'm going to an apostolic school of ministry in Peter Marisburg, or whether I'm going to a Perspectives on the Apostolic in Santon, or in Peter Marisburg as well, or whether I attend Dr. Siggy's uh, meetings uh, every Thursday morning. Why do I go to the gathering? If I go for any selfish uh, motive, I have not come in his name. I have not come in his nature and to do his will. This is very, very important. You know why? Because you might be present in the gathering. Any gathering not constituted in his name, no matter who the Karuks is preaching, accurate, relevant, his feet are beautiful. The word is sounded out. The constitution of the gathering negates the accuracy of hearing. And there's no result attendant. Right? You, the, 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 the intended effect behind declaration and hearing, whose hearing produces faith, but because the, the constitution was not in Christ, the, the nature of Christ, what they hear will not benefit them. What they hear will not have its desired effect because it was not properly constituted in his name. I like what it says, eh? I am there in the midst of them. Guaranteed presence. You can write there. Presence guaranteed. Divine presence is guaranteed when you've gathered in the name. Principle two. Gather in the name, sorry, or the nature of Christ. We'll do that. Num number three, the nature of God is seen fully in the corporate environment. This is very important to understand. I want to say that again. The nature of God is seen fully. Keyword is fully, holistically, completely, within the context of a corporate gathering. Now it says in Psalm 22, verse 22, I tell you, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Now, Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. Messianic psalms, there are several of them in the book of Psalms. They are prophetic psalms in that they speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Psalm 22 is one of those. Right? Some psalms speak, actually speak of the death of the Lord. They're messianic, they're prophetic of what would happen in the life of Jesus. This is one of those psalms. So yeah, the Lord Jesus is saying, I, Jesus, I will tell of your name. So the idea is he's speaking to his father. Father, your name I will tell to who? My brethren. But where do I tell of 
your name, your nature, and your will, your function, to my brothers, where do I tell? Next part of the verse tells you. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Now, praise is to declare the nature of Him, the, the glories of Him that you're extolling. So we are to declare the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. When you praise God, what are you putting on display for others to hear or see? The magnificence, the brilliance, the nature of your God. So the Son is saying to the Father, I declare your name in the midst of brothers. I do it in the midst of an assembly. I will extol who you are. Everyone say declare. means to make known, to unveil, to disclose. I disclose who you are to my brothers in the midst of an assembled context. Go to the next verse. I love the Bible in basic English version of the same verse. It says, I will give the knowledge of your name to my brothers. I will praise you among the people. Right? The writer of the book of Hebrews actually quotes Psalm 22 in Hebrews 2 verse 10 and says it like this. For it was fitting for him, that's Jesus, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them what? Say it louder. Brethren. Psalm 22 says, I will declare your name to my brethren. So the writer of the book of Hebrews says, by virtue of his sufferings, and his sanctification work, right? He and his brothers, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, are all from one father. If you're from one father, you are bruised. Jesus is our big brother. He's the son of God, but he's our elder brother. And the Bible says, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. That's another revelation. He's not just God the Son. He's my brother. He's my elder brother in the family. And you know what elder brothers do. right? Um, they take care of family business. He's a son over the house. Moses was a servant in the house. You know the, the portion. Right? And, and here the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 22, 22. Verse 12 he says, Saying, I will proclaim your name to my... Brethren, in the midst of the congregation. Now, under congregation, right, ecclesia. That word congregation is the same word for church. The called out ones, those who come out to gather. So, listen carefully. The context in which he, he declares or proclaims the name of his father is one in which he is unashamed to be identified with us as brothers. Right? That's a family culture, not so. That's a family ethos. If he's not ashamed to call us brother, we should not be ashamed to call each other brother. Hmm? Ever be ashamed of your brother? When the ashamedness is removed from the relationships 
within the house of God. The name, nature and will of the Father can be proclaimed and imparted through the word of God on a far more powerful level. Right? This is very important to understand. All of us must understand this. Let's back up a bit. Listen carefully. The Son declares the name of the Father to brothers. Not so? And the context in which He, the Son, declares who the Father is to brothers is one of an assembly. Congregation where people have been called out and they've come to gather. Every gathering is an opportunity to learn more about the nature and will of God. Every gathering. But that gathering, when it's constituted must not lack the element of shame in relationships. There must be no ashamedness attended, no tension, no division, no schism. Only love must prevail. That's the ideal context for he, the son, declaring the nature and the will of the father to that community of, of people. Right? If ever there's an element of shame, and you know what? When you are ashamed not to be associated with another, let's say if, if I say, Jaira, I'm ashamed to be connected with you. I'll never, you're not my brew anymore. I'm ashamed to call you brother. Have you ever often heard like a father might say to a son, I'm ashamed to call you my son. You see it on TV sometimes. Context like that, right? There must be such righteousness, such purity, such holiness. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews stresses a sanctifying work amongst that community. This element of purity. He who sanctifies and those sanctified are from one womb. Remember the word for brother here is Adelphos. Right? Those from the same womb. Such commonality that the element of shame is removed from us. In that context, that's the ideal context for the disclosure of the nature of God and the will of God through the word of God. Okay? Now can you see how it's important that we hear corporately? We can, you can all be under the sound of the same Bible study and walk out having heard different things, depending on how you've heard what you listened to. Okay? What my focus right now, I just feel the Lord is really tweaking the house for a corporate engagement, a corporate hearing and a corporate response to get a corporate obedience. Right? But firstly, you have to come. How else are we going to iron things out if we're not there? Even if there is issues to iron out. At least come so we can sort it out. Amen? How many were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? Those upper rooms were not lavish big rooms like we have here. Those are small upper rooms. I can't picture 120 people for 10 days in the same room. What was God doing? He was forcing people to sort their issues out, I think. Right? Peter was in John's face for 10 days in one room. The Bible says they were gathered together. There was a gathering together in one place. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Who knows what God is about to do because of an accurately constituted gathering. Amen? So it's important to gather. Amen? I want to issue a challenge for those of us, many of you are faithful that come every Friday evening to this forum. 
I want to issue you a challenge. Convert someone to gather. Never mind converting them to the Lord. Just get them to be faithful to come consistently to a meeting. You know why? We often want change, but we're not gathered to change. The only way we're going to bring rectification to any ashamedness attended to our corporate environment if if people are present. There's something powerful at the moment a thing is heard. You can always hear this on CD later. But there's something powerfully um, transacted, I think, in the spirit when at the, at the point of the release of a word from God. So that was principle number three. The nature of God is seen fully in the corporate environment. Right? Listen carefully. This verse says, the son says, I will declare your name, Father, to my brothers. Right? I will praise you. I will declare who you are within the context of their gathering. And I really want to encourage you, it's going to take everybody gathered together. Let me prophesy, there will be releases of aspects of both God's nature and purpose that we have not yet seen. I think God is holding back certain aspects of who He is and what He wants to do. Both nature and and purpose, simply because we're not all constituted properly. Not all present. Do you accept this? Do you believe it? Biblical, not so? Now, principle four. Gathering involves a physical meeting together. Don't say I won't come to the meeting, but I will be there in spirit. We don't want to see your spirit, we want to see your body. Um, I can't come to the meeting, but I'm I'm supporting you. Demonstrate it by actually coming. I know sometimes, like I've said, there are valid reasons, legitimate reasons, why you can't make a meeting. But that must not be the norm. Right? It must be far and few between. Right? We're not trying to, please hear my heart, we're not trying to install a regimen that is military style where we take register and who's here and who's not here. Boom, bang, bang. It's not that at all. In fact, that then becomes religion. It becomes control. It becomes domination. And it becomes manipulation. That's the pendulum swinging right to the other extreme where that becomes control. That's demonic and that is devilish. But what we are trying to instill is a devotion to the gathering because you see the priority of it, you see the importance of it, and what aspects of God's nature and will become disclosed in that context every time you gather. It's not just about showing up. Some people, Dr. Segi often says, some people got show your face ministry. (laughs) Only Dr. Segi can say that. You come to the meeting simply to show your face that I was there and you're gone. But the sum total of your experience at the gathering was, I've showed my face. Right? Now, Acts 4.31 says, When they had prayed together, I've underlined this, the place, everyone say the place. The place where they had gathered together was shaken. Right? There's something about gathering physically at a location. Right? Like, like here this evening. Transactions take place at the actual location that sometimes you miss if you listen to this on CD in your car, not having been here. I really believe in recording on DVD, CD, on tape, on MP3s, so that we can play the word over and over for rehearsal purposes. And we obviously you can't legitimately make a meeting, do everything in your power to get the CDs and 
Listen, right? But that must not become an excuse. That convenience must not become an excuse for actually coming to the meetings. Amen? Actually pitching up. Amen? That should be a, a backup, a secondary uh, point of consolidation, of repetition, rehearsal, reinforcement for your own understanding. Right? But um, where you can actually attend, please do. Five, Luke 5.15 says, The news about him was spreading even further. Large crowds were gathering to what? Here we go again. They gathered to what? Gather to hear. Gather to hear him. And he be healed of their sicknesses. Jesus would, himself would often slip away into the wilderness to pray. One day he was teaching and there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present. I like this verse. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. You should connect. Please um, underline, he was teaching. And then underline, and the power of the Lord was present at the gathering. In the context of declaring and teaching the word of God, there was a power present to perform healing. Right? The gathering, the gathering is always around the word of the Lord. When the word of the Lord is accurately heard, God's power is vested in his word. The moves of his spirit flow on the release of powerful word of God. This is the classic portion of scripture. I love this. In the didactic, in the act of instruction, the act of communicating the principles of the word of the Lord to people, the power of the Lord was present. But what presupposes all of this? It says they gathered. Nothing happens if the people aren't there. Hmm? There must be a gathering to activate all of this. Principle number five. Our gathering is to be God-focused. Everyone say Godward. Godward or God-focused, right? The gathering is always focused on the Lord. Psalm 50 verse 5 says, Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Notice the imperative is, Gather to me. Gather to me. The gathering is always God-focused. But who gathers? It says, those who have made a covenant by sacrifice and those who are godly ones gather. The implications are twofold here. The gathering firstly is for godly ones. Those with a sense of holy reverence and fear will live in practical holiness and righteousness. Amen. I want to encourage you. I'm more than ever determined that all our gatherings be holy, pure, to the Lord. Amen? When we gather together, there must be a purity about our atmosphere. Light must shine here. One of the images of light is purity, is sanctification. Right? When we gather, there must be no hidden agenda, no carnality, no lasciviousness, no schisms, no tension, um, no blatant, obvious, habitual sin that anybody is dabbling with it. Right? We must gather as godly ones. Tell your neighbor you're a godly one. Light. People must walk in here and say, wow, the light in this place. And they must not be referring to this light. They must be referring to these people are full of light. 
I just sense and the, the smell of pureness, the smell of purity is all over this place. Okay? These things must become a reality. So the godly ones gather and it says, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So the gathering is highly covenantal to the Lord and to each other. Right? Everyone say covenantal. So it's godly and it's covenantal, two aspects. Principle six. The gathering is to a spiritual father or a grace carrier. Now this does not contradict what I've just said. I've just said in principle five, the gathering is to be unto the Lord, it's God focus, but the gathering is unto a man, a spiritual father as well. Now there's no contradiction in what I've said because the person around whom you gather represents the Lord on his behalf in your midst. Right? Does not substitute for God, represents him. Right? In some gatherings, the minister has become God. That's illegal. Right? We represent him to our people. Okay? So, um, for example, just a few, lovely portion I found in Jeremiah 23, verse 3 and 4. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock from all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their pasture. And I will be, and they will be fruitful and multiply. So God says, I myself will gather them. For this idea of they will gather unto me. But straight away in verse 4 he says, I will raise up who? I will raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them. So the shepherds act as a shepherd on God's behalf, shepherding the people for God. Right? God first says, I gather them unto myself, but for this process to work practically in the earth, I will raise up good shepherds in various households of faith, churches in our context, and people will gather unto them. So it's very important that the shepherds to whom they gather realize we are simply facilitators of a gathering unto God. The gathering, while it's around us, is not essentially unto us, it's unto the Lord. So we don't lose our focus. Otherwise we get bigots. Right? And we become disasters, not stars. But what I like, and I highlighted this in the verse. Look at verse 4 again. I will raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will anyone be missing. I like that. When God took the register at this gathering, everybody was present. Take names of call. I'm just, I'm just humorously paraphrasing now. Names of call, and God said, everyone's here. Praise God. Let me tell you, please take this urgently, the call I made for you to cajole your brothers, to encourage people to attend regularly. There's something that will break in the atmosphere over this house. I know it in my heart. I know this, there's a breakthrough that's going to happen simply by the accuracy of our gathering. Everyone has to be present. A, a shepherd representing the father over the house, speaking the word of the Lord to him. and The power of the Lord was present to heal. There are certain supernatural things that are going to happen when we gather accurately. I know it as a word from God in our hearts. And if you got this revelation, incite your brothers not to miss the next gathering. Dr. Segi always tells us, 
Attend all my meetings. Uh, two weeks ago I heard him say this. At uh, Thursday. Attend all my meetings. Don't miss one. You don't know which one is going to be your breakthrough. You don't know which, which meeting is going to be the, the, the moment of breakthrough for you. Hmm? What would it be if everyone were, were present tonight? Picture this. Every seat full with somebody here tonight. What would have been not just the impact on their life. I'm not talking about, yes, you'll be blessed privately. Everyone will be blessed privately and individually. I'm talking about there are certain dynamics that are going to shift and move in the corporate house simply because no one is missing. Now, for example, the gathering was unto a man who represents God. In 1 Samuel 22:2, the gathering was unto David. They came to him in Hebron. Everyone was in distress, everyone was in debt, everyone was discontented, gathered to, um, sorry, this wasn't in Hebron, this was at Adullam, gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men, I like this. But the gathering was unto one that represented the Lord in their midst. First Chronicles 11, 1 says, Then all Israel gathered to David at Hebron. This was when he ruled in Hebron for seven and a half years before he ruled in Zion for 33. So they gathered to David at Hebron. Perceive, listen carefully to the next one. Failure to perceive God's chosen sent one to you will abort the gathering process. Now, hear my heart as we read this next portion, which is very important. I just said to you, God says in Jeremiah 23, I gather them. For this to work, I position shepherds over them. They'll gather to these men on the earth representing me, and the shepherds will tend them. In that context, no one was, no one was, was missing. Now, I am saying, part of the reason why some are missing, part of the reason is a failure to honor the one that God has positioned over the gathering. It's not about honoring him as a man or the the personality. Honoring the representation that he depicts. He's a representative of the Lord himself in the midst of us. Now read this next portion with that understanding. Uh, Luke 13, 31 says, Just at that time some Pharisees approached him saying, Go away here. Leave here. Herod wants to kill you. Right? He said to them, go tell that fox. I like Jesus' response. They tell him, you better get the heck out of town, bro. There's a plot on your life. Herod is looking to kill you. Jesus says, go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons. I perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I reach my goal. Jesus was totally goal-oriented. He wasn't going to allow any personal threat on his life to diminish the vigor and, and, and the determination with which he pursued God's purpose. Now, he says, nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Then he laments over the city. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Twice. The city that does what? The city kills prophets, stones those sent to her, 
How often I wanted to do what? He wants to gather you. So, how does he gather? He gathers by positioning shepherds. Right? I, I often wanted to gather you, your children together, just like a hen gathers a brood under her wings, but you would not have it. Think about this. This is my desire. But God says to the city in this context, but you refused it. I wanted it. But you, didn't, you wouldn't have none of it. Behold, your house, your dwelling is left to you ransacked, desolate. A den of demons is the actual translation in the Greek. Your house is open to demonic infestation. All sorts of things will go wrong in your house if there is no honor and esteem for the one that is sent to shepherd you. And I say to you, you're not, you ain't going to see me no more. <laughs> you will not see my face again until your heart can say to me, you are blessed, you who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? Wherever there is disesteem, disregard for the one sent to you, you always expose yourself to desolation. Right? You always expose yourself to, to desolation. There's a desire on the part of God to gather. People do not want any part of it. He wants it. They don't. He says, no problem. You just won't see my face again. Until you can say in your heart, I'm glad when you call a gathering and we position ourselves under your speaking. Right? It's very, very serious what I'm saying. I don't know why we... You know, the Lord switched this just yesterday. I'm not supposed to be talking these things today. This is a fresh word off just from, from, from yesterday. Um, late in the afternoon, the Lord switched my mind as to what we should focus on. Right? And God is saying to this house, um, you will not see my face again until in your heart you can say, He's blessed who comes in the name of the Lord as a karuks sent from God with a valid word when it's declared will generate faith and there will be the desired outcome in the context of a, of a gathering. Right? Now, Jesus uses a lovely phrase, I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. Have any of you seen this? We were at the animal farm. Now on, on, you saw the chicks in the... Okay? I went to use the lewd one occasion and I came running out and there was this hen with the chicks. And I startled them. They were all, but where did they find refuge? They naturally gravitate towards the mother. And she just covers them with her. Okay, I think that chick didn't know who was coming to it. Right. <laughs> it didn't perceive grace. <laughs> okay. um, the paragraph, the third paragraph on page six. Publicly, gathering under the wings of the Lord is a place of intimate relationship, empowerment, protection, and provision. Okay? I didn't want to type all of those verses out in your notes, otherwise we would have wasted too much paper printing this. But please look at all the references there. Psalm 17, 8, 36, 7, Psalm 57, 1, 61, 4, 63, 7, 94, 1, etc. 
all have reference to being under the wings of the Lord. It's a place of intimacy, it's a place of empowerment, it's a place of protection, it's a place of immunity against danger. Now, who wants that place? Now, Boaz used the phrase in reference to to Ruth, in Ruth 2 verse 11. Boaz replied to her and said, all that you have done for your, who's the mother-in-law? Naomi. And what is the representation of Naomi? She's the depiction of a spiritual father. So, Boaz says to Ruth, who is the spiritual son, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, your spiritual father, your spiritual son, after the death of your husband, has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your and your mother, and you left the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you did not know previously. May the Lord reward you for your work, and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take what? Refuge. Right? She said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. Now, Listen carefully. She finds favor in Boaz's sight. Who is Boaz a representation of? Christ. But Christ says to her, I equate all that you have done for your mother-in-law as finding refuge under the wings of the Lord. Right? So how does a spiritual son find refuge? It has got to do with your support for your spiritual father listening to his word and obeying every single instruction. Boaz says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law has been reported to me. Just love this. May the Lord reward your work and may your wages be full from the Lord. The God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge and I'm, while i'm just reading this i just feel the lord saying for some of you present here tonight you've lived this i know some of you you live this you live this reality and i just hear the lord saying may I'm, I'm speaking this prophetically over you may the lord reward the work of your hands and may your wages be full from the lord the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge okay It's a place of intimacy, protection, empowerment, provision. May that be yours abundantly. In faith, tell your neighbor, that was for me. Now, I put at the bottom here a caution. This is not for you. It's, It's mainly for leaders that occupy my position and higher. There's a caution to disobedient apostolic fathering leadership. 1 Samuel 13, 11 says, But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattering from me, that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Saul, as a leader, fell out of favor with God. He blatantly disobeyed God. Remember? He kept the best sheep, etc. Blatant disobedience, by a leader, right? And in his own declaration, he says, 
instead of the people gathering to me, the people scatter from me. Right? This is a caution to those of us that occupy leading roles um, to, to keep our levels of obedience accurate, consistently. Otherwise, we disqualify ourselves and that instead of a gathering towards us, there will be a scattering up away from us. Very, very important caution here. Okay, principle number seven. The apostolic principle is a vital factor for the end time gathering of the saints. The apostolic principle is a vital factor for the end time gathering of the saints. Now you know that Judah amongst the tribes is the most accurate depiction of the apostolic. There were 12 tribes, uh, but Judah represents the most accurate picture of what is apostolic. Judah was a leading tribe amongst the, the 12, remember? They were the first to lead out every time the, the tabernacle was dismantled. They occupied a position with two others east, where the sun rose. They were the first to see the new day. They are the first to see a new kairos, a new season in God, and they lead others in that. So Judah represents the apostolic principle. Now, in Genesis 49.10, the King James Bible says this. Here's a prophecy over Judah. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Shiloh is a representation of the Lord Jesus himself here. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. This prophecy is a prophecy vested in Judah that's going to pave the way for the revelation of an accurate representation of Christ. Unto Judah, it says, shall the gathering of the people be. There will be a gathering, listen carefully, unto Judah-type sons of God in the earth, or Judah-type churches, Ephesus-type churches, pioneers, leaders that influence and direct other churches. Right? What is true of Ephesus is true of the person of Judah, the tribe of Judah, rather. Right? It becomes the point through which it affects the whole nation. Right? The carrier, the custodian of God's purposes. Now, you and I are like that. But it says, unto us is what? The gathering of the people. But you must read this in the New American Standard. It says, let's read the, the whole prophecy from verse 8. Judah, your brothers will do what? Will praise you. Judah occupies a position of rank among his brothers. Judah, your brothers, praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you, Judah. Please remember, this is Genesis 49. Um, the brothers have, after the famine, have come to Egypt. There's restoration with them and Joseph. Remember, Joseph first occupied a preeminent position. Remember his dream? His sheaves stood up, the, the sheaves of his brothers bowed down. Now the nation is restored. Jacob is old. He's back in Egypt together. The family is uh, reconstituted. He's about to die. He prophesies the word to each son. He comes to Judah and says, Oh, Judah, I think in his mind he's thinking like this. Joseph fulfilled 
a saving role for the whole family up to this point. But from this point onwards, everybody else is going to bow to you. There's a, there's a turn, a change in the God, as it were. Change in role and function. Right? Judah, he says, your, your brothers are now going to praise you. Your brothers will bow down to you, Judah. Right? Your brothers will bow down to you. Now, here's what it says, verse 10, in the NASB. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's star from between his feet. Until Shiloh comes. And unto him shall be what? Come on, say it. Unto him shall be the obedience of the people. The King James says, unto him shall be the gathering of the people. The New American Standard says, unto him shall be the obedience of the people. If you check up the Hebrew word uh, in Strong's or in Thayer's or in Zodiac's for, for either gathering or obedience in either version of the Bible... We, whether you're using King James or New American, the translators have used two different words, but the Hebrew word is yikaha, yikaha, not ha ha ha, yikaha. Yikaha means, I like this, it means to gather or to obey. So the translators are perfectly in order when they use those two English words. Right? But let's connect them. It also means obedience, cleansing, or, or purging. And I said in your notes, listen carefully. As suggested in the meaning of gather above, there's also a demand for oh, obedience. You should write there, we gather to obey. We gather with the view of obedience. We gather with the ultimate result of obeying the word of the Lord. Okay, and in your notes, I've got the purpose of our gathering is to bring us all into a place of corporate obedience and corporate purity. Because the word yikaha means to gather, to obey, but as you can see there, also alludes to strong cleansing and purging. So whenever we gather, uh, I would rather say it like this, hence we must gather. So we can hear accurate words that we must obey. It's unto who? Everyone say Judah. It's not to all the brothers. Listen carefully. If, I would like to think like this. Judah now in this economy becomes the point around which the other brothers gather. Right? And he has an infectious impact positively upon the rest of his brothers. When they gather to him, he instills obedience. You must study Judah. Maybe we'll sometime look at that. Every time Judah spoke, from this point onwards, the brothers listened to him. Even kings listened to Judah. Princes and governors, there was an authority in his, in his voice. They listened to Judah. And to, there was a yes. If you said yes. But there was this convergence around Judah. He speaks and they obey. And what I'm saying to us, we are that element, that Judah element, that Ephesus element, that others... Other churches, now I don't say this disparagingly of others, but you must know your purpose in the kingdom. There are some that God will work through to infect others. And I'm saying by, this is not a boast, this is an honest recognition that God has graced us for this capacity. He truly has. But if this is going to be our effect, guess what? Those principles need to be modeled here first. 
if that is going to be the effect that we're going to have laterally, we have to be the standard of everything we espouse. Let me just say this. If unto us, unto us the gatherings of the people are going to be for us to encourage them to obey, we have to be the most accurately gathered and the most accurately obedient in the first place for that effect to be transmitted. You understand it? Are you receiving? Amen? Look at Haggai 1, 12. Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice. I like this. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. Exodus 19 verse 8. All the people answered and they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. How does God speak? He speaks through Moses. And this is like choral or choral, chorus response to what Moses instructed them. They say, all that you say we will do. You should write there on the side, corporate obedience. That's like wholesale obedience. I long for this day. You know what one of the, one of the, the aches of leadership, leadership is? One of the laments we have is, you deal with one issue, the moment that person comes right, somebody else is manifesting somewhere else. Then you turn your attention to focus on that issue. The moment that individual comes right, somebody else is manifesting. And I'm saying to God, why can't just we have widespread corporate obedience all at once? Hmm? Resolving your heart tonight, you will not be among the group that manifests. Build into corporate obedient culture. Right? Right? You will never know the pains of leadership until you lead. You see, because in an individual, you can have your up and down. But everybody's ups and downs is the leader's concern. While you have to deal with yours privately, the leader has to embrace everyone's in its totality. But I long for this day when there will be a choral, chorus response of people that say, all that you say, we will do. We will do. Maybe that, should, that, that can become our new catchphrase. We will do. Nike. What is? Just, they just do it. Well, we will do. That will be our slogan. We will do. All that you say, we will do. Okay, let's, let's proceed. I'm going to leave the bit of Joseph out. You can read that because of, just because of of, of, of time. In Acts 2, the 120 were all gathered in, in one place. Everyone say 120. I didn't, I, I didn't spell this out quite um, clearly in your note, but above the word 120, just write apostolic principle. Because the word, uh, the 120 is a multiple of 12, and the 12 depicts the apostolic principle. So the gathering was representative of an apostolic community. Not so? Right? Like the, like the other brothers gather around Judah, who is representative of the apostolic principle. Yeah, in the book of Acts, they gather, and there was this, this apostolic character attendant with the gathering. And that composition started a brand new era, Pentecost. 
God said, now is the time to start my next program on the earth for the church. The day of Pentecost had fully come. The Holy Spirit was given. What activated God's heart? An essential part of God said, now is the time. An essential component of him acting on the, at that time, in that point in human history, was the fact that people gathered consistently for 10 days. God said, now is the time. Can you see that we don't just want people to come for coming's sake? It's not just about being present. It's about activating something in the heavens. It's about initializing, catalyzing, activating, uh, being the spur for something that's going to break forth upon us. Amen? Principle eight. Okay, we've got two more, then we'll close. Gathering activates the release of the word of the Lord. The release of the word of the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy 4.10. It says, assemble the people that they may hear. Okay, we look at several scriptures that say, like for example, Joseph, uh, Jacob said, Genesis 49, gather and, gather and hear. Luke 5, the people gathered to hear. Now in Deuteronomy 10.4, assemble the people that they might hear. The purpose of the gathering is for accurate hearing. Nehemiah 8.1, the people gathered as how? As one man. There's no shamedness to call each other brother. They gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And what is water an image of in the word of God? The word of God. So they gather as a, a family, a community of brothers, unashamed to hear the word of the Lord, they asked Ezra, who is the one sent, the preacher sent by God, right? We're marrying all these concepts now, Romans 10. And what does he do? To bring the book of the law of Moses, which he had given to Israel, right? Our gathering has to be as one man. Now, listen to the principle. They gather to here, I'm summarizing what I've said in that paragraph there. Listen carefully. Please don't read it. Listen, let me, you can read it at home. Let me explain this in my own words. Um, when I speak to you as the one sent by God, the preacher, the spiritual father, mandated to represent the heavenly father as a shepherd to tend the flock, I preach, you hear, faith is generated, you obey, God's result is achieved in your life what you hear will largely depend on me not so how i engage god the, the, my private study my preparation my prayer my accessing the ladder as the angel of the lord to decode things in the heavens bring them down much of it is dependent on me but what i am saying there's a level of god speaking beyond that God wants to speak and he will always speak to the person that he has chosen not so but there's a level of God speaking that will only be activated by virtue of the fact that people have gathered accurately I think to a large degree what we've heard in our local community here has been because of my preparation but there's a level of God speaking still to be accessed by virtue of the fact that people have gathered now, in the notes, let me read it because I think I, wrote, I took my time to try and word this accurately. 
Let's read it together. Listen, I'll read. Gathering and assembling as one activates the speaking of the Lord and hence the hearing of the sons of God. There is a dimension of God speaking that we are exposed to as the result of how a spiritual father has positioned himself to access the word. But there is also a dimension of God speaking that goes beyond the private preparation of the preacher and that will only be activated by virtue of the gathering of his sons. Gatherings which are accurately constituted and revelatorily observed will even cause spiritual fathers to speak on a higher plane. So you can take my, my speaking to the next level. God will begin to speak specific things as gathering or gatherings of his family all around the world become more accurate, purposeful, and regularly observed. Go to page 9, our last page. You know this well. The two on the road to Emmaus, they walked as one man. We, we discussed this, I think, in our first two sessions. Two disciples walked with one heart, Right? Uh, the King James Version of Luke 24, 32 says, They said to one another, Did not our heart, two men, one heart. The two of them, they're saying, Did not our heart burn. In the Greek, it's not hearts, it is singular. Two men were so united. This doesn't make sense in English grammar. You can't say, As we two, did not our heart burn. You, you would have had to have said, Did not our hearts burn. But two men speak as though they have one heart, depicting that they are so one, they are united, they are brothers. And that is why when Jesus saw that, the Bible says, Jesus drew near to them. There will always be the drawing near of a, of a gathering that is gathered in oneness. And what did Jesus do when he gathered to the two on the road to Emmaus? He opened the book of the law. He opened the prophets and later the Psalms and he, he led himself from out of there. There will be the leading out of Christ to us if our gathering can be accurately constituted. These two then ran. Remember, how, how far was Emmaus from Jerusalem? Seven miles. I always call it the perfect journey. So I remember it. The distance was seven miles. Right? Not miles, it was seven stadia. The Greek measuring term stadia. Depending on what measurement you use of stadia, there are various ones. It translates to up to, I think between eight kilometers to 12, somewhere there. Right? Maximum being 12. But in the stadia system of measurement, it was seven which is the perfect journey. Seven is perfection, right? The measurement that they used. So they leave Jerusalem and they walk to Emmaus. What does Emmaus mean again? Place of earnest longing, remember? Right? Place of hot springs, earnest longing. And then, um, at Emmaus, he was known to them in the breaking of bread, remember? Right? Then the Bible says they, 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 they returned to Jerusalem the following day. To the eleven, it says, which were gathered. Notice, here's the verse. Luke 24, 
33. They got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found what? Please hear this. It's very important. What did they find? They found gathered together the 11. Now Judas has betrayed the Lord. Only 11 disciples left. They found the 11 gathered together and those that were with them. And what did these two do? They were able to report and bring the 11 up to the same revelation that they've just received. There was immediate upgrade by people who did not hear Christ like these two did. But the upgrade happened swiftly because of a gathering. You rob yourself of consistent upgrade every time you neglect the gathering. Dimensions of God, you will, you will fall, you, you will find yourself languishing in the back. Far behind most when you should be at the front line of God's purposes and plans. Why will I make the effort to go to POA, even at Sandton? Most, well, they just had two now. But why am I determined to be at almost everyone as far as I can help it? Right? You don't know which breakthrough, which gathering your breakthrough is that. And every time you gather, you're upgrading to the current speaking of the Lord. You're hearing that your work can be more accurate. Then principle, last principle, nine. And we close with this. The gathering is not to be forsaken. Right? Let's leave out some. You can read Psalm 122 verse 3, which says, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact. Everyone say compact. And compact is the Hebrew word Shabbat, means to unite, to join together, to have fellowship, to heap up, or to be in league. Right? Tightly compact. When we gather, we must be consolidated. The verse I want to just close with is Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to do what? stimulate one another to love and good deeds not doing what not forsaking our own assembling together or the gathering uh, the, the king james says not forsaking the gathering of yourselves together it says as the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day near The gathering must intensify as we near the end of God's purpose. Is not so? The frequency, the regularity, the intensity of our gatherings should all increase as we move towards the last hour in the day of the Lord. As time nears, so should our gatherings intensify. But this verse says to not forsake. The word forsake here, or not forsaking, is the Greek word eg kata lepo. Egg kata lepo. It's even a, a difficult word to pronounce. Child is a bad word. Okay. Do not forsake the gathering. It means, listen to the meaning. It means this. To abandon. Do you know when you're not here, you've abandoned us. You know when you're not here, you've deserted us. The word tells us. It means to leave in straits, to leave helpless, to totally ab- abandon, utterly forsaken. To leave behind among and to leave surviving it's like 
you left them helpless. You know when you, when you hit a duck? Let me use a colloquial. When you're in an army and you're fighting a war and you're a deserter, what do they call that? You've got an AWOL. Absent without leave. Right? It's not just that you left, but you're leaving compromised those who remained. So you left them purely, barely surviving. There's a, the idea of abandonment, the idea of desertion is attended with this word to forsake. So please bear this in mind. If people do not come to the gathering, when we say you've forsaken the gathering, not just saying you didn't come, but you're not coming robbed us who did gather of experiencing the fullness of the potential of God's purpose for our gathering. It, I mean, you will suffer because you were not, but you're not coming, you left, you deserted us. You left us helpless. So it's, it's felt both ways. You will suffer and you rob the gathering of your contribution. You've withheld your part, not just by your presence, because your very presence means something to the whole. Okay? So don't, with, to, to stand aloof, literally means this. Every time you desert the gathering, you express what you are saying is, I have no concern for the welfare of the gathering. What you're saying is, I have no vested interest in the positive outcome of that meeting. So I desert, I abandon, I leave them barely surviving, I withhold. Right? I can't conceive in my wildest dreams not being present at any meeting Thamo calls. I do it in honor of him. Because I want to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord under whose wings I have positioned myself. I'm going to hear words that will transform my life. Right? All those things matter to me. But also, what drives me is, the family is meeting. And if I stay away, I compromise the full potential of what the family could have attained. But listen, it says, don't forsake what? The assembling of yourselves to together as the habit of some. Everyone said this must become a habit. Come on, say this must become, say gathering must become a habit. And the Greek word for gathering is ethos. I like this, the Greek meaning of ethos. It relates to usage, to custom or to, or to manner. Right? It must become habitual. Gathering must become the ethos of a culture that defines us. We are the ecclesia, the church that is called out from others to come together, to receive instruction from the, from the Lord. It's very, very, very important. Let's read the last part at the top of verse 10. The gathering is forsaken when the community and the corporate expression of God's, of God's people as a family is devalued. Also, the Greek term suggests to forsake the gathering implies a desertion of the family of God, an abandoning of divine purpose, a withholding of oneself and one's contribution with the ultimate effect of, this is a key word, of impoverishing the potential of the gathering's effectiveness. You bring poverty 
or a taking away of the effectiveness of the gathering. He who forsakes the gathering actually subconsciously leaves those gathered helpless and barely surviving, suggestive of the fact that the fullest potential of those gathered will not be realized. Absence from the gathering subconsciously and inadvertently communicates the idea that there's a willingness that might not be deliberate that the gathering be impoverished. May our gatherings around God's word take on a new priority. And may every divine purpose attendant with them be fully accomplished.